0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, it is game week. Can't wait, Stu. I cannot wait. By the way, Ed
2: Oliver, first sack of the season happened over the weekend. I know they, Houston didn't play a game, but his charming little Heisman gift, the bobblehead of head-riding Oreo the horse, my kids seemed to like it until my son bopped my daughter over the head with it and left a pretty good... Pretty well done on her forehead. <laughs> so now, well, now, Ed and Oreo reside like high up on a on a shelf above the TV.
1: I've got him. I got him actually sitting on my desk right now uh, as we record this. So you noted, and I think correctly, that the Urban Meyer Ohio State story has kind of dominated the podcast in the month of August. And now that it's games are actually here, we want to try to focus as much as possible on those. You know, as we've been sitting here. We, by the way, we're gonna have Tim Brando on here in a little bit. Bruce's colleague at Fox Sports, longtime friend of the podcast. Before we get to that, just uh, we're going to do some rapid fire previews of the week's games this week, just our picks basically. But I just wanted to note that as we've been recording this, one, uh, you know, every single team in the country is putting out their week one depth chart, which includes a whole lot of quarterback announcements. Everything from Felipe Franks getting the call at Florida to Kelly Bryant at Clemson. Uh, Kelly Bryant at Clemson. Alabama puts out a, I mean, I'm sure we can all try to dissect this however possible, but it basically says for quarterback, Tua slash Jalen Hurts, as in Tua or Jalen Hurts. So he's leaving that one up for suspense. But I kind of read it as Tua's going to start and Jalen's going to play. I could be wrong, but why would you put Tua's name first otherwise? I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't know. I don't know. I know
2: the alphabet is uh, something we hold sacred, but maybe in this case it's, it's just the whatever thing.
1: J. T. Daniels, the true freshman getting the call at USC. I think uh, I think we kind of expected that. I'm just amazed at the number of true freshmen who are going to be week one starters from him to Adrian Martinez to
2: Arthur Sudkowski. Yeah Arthur Sidkowski yep. and his old high school teammate from IMG Academy. Who's now at Minnesota? Both are, they shared the job at IMG. I I can never remember. I can't rem, recall ever hearing two high school quarterbacks from the same team both becoming starters as true freshmen, much less at power five. You know, at power five schools.
1: It's I just, mean, how would that even normally? How would that even be possible, right? I mean, it would
2: have to be a case where you'd have a, a big time school where you had two really good players who shared the job. I mean, it's just. You know, I remember there was a high there's a high school out here, Hart High School, and Dean Harrington is a coach. At one point, I want to say he had four quarterbacks he had produced, or three, who were starting in the Pac-12 at once. You know, it was, it was Kyle Matter. I want, to, I think it was Kyle Bowler, and Matt Moore. I mean, that's, that was pretty insane to have that kind of, and I think they had maybe another kid at an academy, but maybe at the Air Force or Army, so... It's it, it's really rare, but anyway, yeah, the the true freshman's all over the place. Is, is, is there no any work. any
1: one of all of these quarterbacks announcements? Is there anyone that actually surprised you? No, I was expecting you know Rutgers to go with
2: Sukowski. I was expecting Adrian Martinez. I mean, I wrote about him this weekend on the Athletic. Was was expecting Kelly Bryant. Now, I'm not. I'll tell you what. I'll be surprised if Kelly Bryant is the starting quarterback for Clemson in the playoff. And oh, I think Clemson I'll, I'll, to win will, it all
1: go more than that i think kelly uh so I, I assume trevor lawrence will see plenty of time in this game against Furman, and i think he'll also see time against texas a&m and look maybe kelly bryant comes out and blows everybody away and keeps that job all year but no i think trevor lawrence will will surpass him probably by the start of acc play yeah I, i'm
2: with you in there also some some a little bit of news this is something i had reported over the weekend Tariq Black, who is Michigan's top receiver, who had missed 10 games last year with a broken foot. Uh, he broke his foot again, or that broke stinks. a foot, yeah, over the weekend. He will be out for Notre, for the Notre Dame game this weekend. Uh, from what I was told, he will be out for quite some time. Jim Harbaugh just said for some weeks when he confirmed the report. But that's a big blow to Michigan's offense, especially with them trying to get things cranked up with, with Shea Patterson. They still have good, some good receivers, good young receivers around, but... Uh, They're going to miss him.
1: It's a tough break for Tariq Black. I mean, if you watched the Michigan um, documentary from last season on Netflix, I did not make it all the way through, but I I watched the first few episodes and he's a big figure in it from, I don't know why they chose to spotlight him right off the bat. Like when he's moving into his dorm and all that. And then of course you see uh, inside the, the doctor's room and the doctor's office and the training room when he gets the diagnosis about his foot. So it's, From that standpoint, very sad to see it happen again. And also, he was my, uh, when we did our conference previews, he was my Big Ten breakout player. I really thought he had all-conference potential this season. So, at the end of the day, Michigan is going to run the ball and play defense, and Shea Patterson will, in in their hopes, be the guy that kind of puts it over the top. But it's not like they were going to be a team that came out and threw for 40, 50 times a game. All right, enough quarterback talk. Let's get to these games this week. We're going to do a rapid. I don't know that we'll do this every week, but in honor of the first weekend, some rapid fire picks. I'm game. Let's go. All right. I know what you're going to say for this one, but Auburn, Washington. Washington. I've said this before, I think, on the podcast
2: and maybe on some Seattle radio. I think Washington's maturity is, is ready to handle a cross country trip that's a de facto home game. And if you look at Gus Miles on's teams, they've really struggled early even against i remember a few years back i've cited this they uh the year they played for the national title at the end of the season they had their hands full with a really awful washington state team and that was a home game and i've seen a couple other times where they kind of stubbed their toe and struggled and i think chris peterson's guys will be ready for this test
1: so you did give that reasoning a few weeks ago and you basically convinced me so i actually am really high on auburn great defense stacked defensive line A little nervous about Jake Browning going up against that. But at the end of the day, it's hard to bet against Chris Peterson in these big games. And especially given what you said about Auburn's track record in these openers. So I'll go with the Huskies. Let's switch to Michigan-Notre Dame. Even with the injury news with Michigan, I'm going to go with the Wolverines. You? Michigan, and it won't be close. And and, really? and and people are going to get on me about that. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh is overrated. They went eight and five, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's going to be a really good team, and I think it's not a great matchup for Notre Dame. Brandon Wimbush could really struggle against that. What will be a, a stout? Um, I hate that word actually. <laughs> what will be a very dominant Michigan defense with Don Brown again? So Michigan. I don't have a final score for yet, but Michigan pretty decisively.
2: Is that by double digits? By at least ten points? Yes. Okay, thank you very much.
1: Let's move to Alabama. Well, just tell me if you think Alabama Louisville will be a competitive game.
2: I don't. I think Alabama will 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 crush Louisville by at least by at least three touchdowns.
1: I think Louisville will hang around for a half. Bobby Petrino will have something up his sleeve. Then Alabama just shuts them down in the second half. LSU Miami. I think Miami
2: will win. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think two teams are really good in the front set. Two teams are really good on defense suspect quarterback play I don't think either team has a has a has a great running back or a great offensive line LSU probably has I think a better offensive line but I'm gonna go with with Miami maybe 13
1: to 9 Ooh, ugly ugly Miami, the closer we have gotten and the more I've thought about the more Miami the more I've thought, you know, it's not necessarily given that they will be better this year. I don't think Miami will be better because all those turnovers they got last year, sometimes that's like, I don't want
2: to say it's fluky, but it does feel a little bit.
1: Oh, believe me. It's hard like, to replicate. As great a story as the turnover chain was, there was always a bit of a bit of luck behind it, you know, especially fumbles. Any advanced stats guy would tell you that's just it's 50-50. And if you're doing better in 50-50, it may reverse itself the next year. So, plus I think we know that, you know, outside of those two dominant performances against uh, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, you know, they had a lot of close endings where they were fortunate to win. Came back to earth a little bit at the end. All of that being said, I have fewer questions about Miami than I do about LSU. Miami in a close one. Okay. This, this is like being on ESPN game day. There, are there people behind you yelling? <laughs> There's nobody behind me yelling. Nobody has signs up. But I just, as I said that, I felt like Lee Corso, uh, saying, you know, closer than the experts think
2: Florida. Well, state. Don't, don't the
1: experts think it's like a three point game. Yes, they do actually. So you have a, you have as like a two or one point. I will pick Miami to cover. Okay. Virginia tech at Florida state on Monday night. I'm going to go with Florida state. I think, uh. Virginia State had a
2: rocky offseason. I think Florida State will respond well. I think Florida State will, it'll be a tight game into the fourth quarter, but I think Florida Florida State will win.
1: I think this game, more than Miami LSU, could be really ugly because Florida State, you know, first year coach trying to figure things out. Virginia Tech, Bud Foster trying to keep that defense together with all that attrition. But I will, with you, I I will take the Knowles mostly just because the game's in Tallahassee.
2: I also think Florida State's run game could get cranked up. They got some stud running backs. I think they I think they're going to win by I could see them winning 21-10 something like that.
1: Let's see here. How about uh West Virginia Tennessee in Charlotte? I think West Virginia will blow it open
2: in the second half and win maybe, you know, 35 to 17 something like that.
1: That's actually about almost exactly the score I had in in, in my head. Do you think FAU FAU is a three touchdown underdog at Oklahoma? Do you think they'll cover?
2: I do not think they will. I think this game will be really tight into the third quarter. I think Oklahoma I think FAU may have the best player on the field. Lane Kiffin's running running back, Motor Singletary. I think is he's not a huge back, but he's pretty dynamic. Oklahoma's defense is athletic, but it still has some some hiccups around to say it mildly. And I, I think I think Kyler Murray will play well, but I don't think – this isn't Baker Mayfield out there. It I sounds don't. like
1: you're saying – I asked you if FAU would cover the being a 21-point underdog. It sounds like you're saying you do think they will. Oh, yes. I'm sorry.
2: I do. I think it – if you told me the spread was 10 points, I would, buy, I would say that sounds about right to
1: me. I wow, like I was just about to say 41-31. Yeah, I would go with that. I feel like this first week, since you have nine months to think about or eight months or whatever – it's pretty clear in your head. It gets tougher once they actually start playing football games. Yeah, because
2: I think by now, especially we do this podcast, we do a bunch of, of other media where you kind of talk through, you talk yourself into a lot of positions, like just mental positions about what you think a team is going to look like and how they're going to perform. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. And I think in a lot of ways – I think I know how you feel about a lot of stuff. I think you know how I feel about a lot of
1: stuff, too. I assume you cannot give a pick on Maryland, Texas? I cannot, but I'd like to hear yours. My pick is Texas close. I don't even know what the spread is. Texas close. I'll put it that way. I might have leaned Maryland four months ago, but given everything going on there, no chance for you. You were on this Fox preview show with Wanstead and Liner and Robert Smith, and Robert was the only one of you guys to have, like, a— unconventional playoff pick he has Texas going to the playoff is that something I don't I, I think they could be better I just don't I don't see that as a possibility Do you
2: I don't I was down at, in Austin for a couple of days this past week to get ready for our opener on Saturday at Maryland and I think they should be pretty good but I don't think pretty good is going to get them into the playoff you know you you look at them Sam Ellinger, I think, has some it factor to him. The teammates respond well to him. they got big athletic receivers. I think they'll be a little better on the offensive line. I don't think the running game is going to be that great. They have, right now, I think three running backs that are, I don't want to say interchangeable, but I think you're going to see kind of like a three-headed attack. Defensively, they lost some really good players. I do think Gary Johnson has a chance to, he doesn't get talked about enough, as a chance to be a really a breakout player. He's gotten a lot bigger. He can really run. I could see Caden Stearns being a freshman All-American, intercepting seven or eight passes this year in that defense. But I think they're going to miss Puna Ford a little bit. I think they're probably an eight and four kind of team. Maybe they get, maybe they can get to nine wins. I don't think. I, don't, I think if they're a playoff team, I don't think it's happening this year. Maybe in a year or two. But right now, I don't, I don't
1: see it. You know, one of the things I've always found interesting is when you go on these tours, and I didn't do it this year, but if you go and see if several teams practice like all in a row in August, it's an interesting kind of comparison and measuring stick. What was the? Because you said, you know, what was the difference? Would you say in talent level, watching Penn State practice versus Texas?
2: I thought Penn State was more impressive. Penn State skill guys stood out. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if I would say Texas's is, Texas's is D line and O line. I think you know that's an area where Penn State hasn't been great. But I, I look at both teams have really big receivers. You have Colin Johnson at, at Texas is six six two twenty, and Joann Johnson at, at Penn State is probably six, five, 230 and you got other guys like that. I think Penn State may have two better running backs. I think right now Trace McSorley's just at a different level than what you're going to get from Sam Ellinger. So I, I think Penn State, and we'll get into this a little more with Brando uh, later on the podcast, I think Penn State's really good. You know, the question for a lot of people is going to be replacing Joe Moorhead. I think they should be fine with Ricky Ronnie, who, who's learned under him and learned under James Franklin's a really smart, well-regarded coach. And I think it's a big help that they have Trace McSorley back. But for people who, who are kind of dismissing because Saquon's gone and Mc, Moorhead's gone, this, they have a really, really strong freshman class. I mean, I've seen it. There's a lot of kids out there who I think are going to be impact guys, you know, in a hurry there in State College.
1: Very well. I have one last game prediction to ask of you. It's the game that will get everybody fired up for college football season on Thursday night. Northwestern at Purdue.
2: I want to say Northwestern, but I'm tempted not to, un- not to underestimate Jeff Brom in that setting. I'll, I'll stick with Northwestern.
1: I think Northwestern will end up having a better season. But I think Purdue will win this game. Wow.
2: Going against your beloved alma mater.
1: Just being an objective analyst about it. No, I mean, it's interesting. You know, remember a couple of years ago, they beat Stanford in the opener, and that really set the tone for that season. But other outside of that, I feel like they kind of struggle in these early games. I mean, usually it's non-conference games, obviously. So the, the depth chart just came out. Clayton Thorson was listed as or in terms of whether he'll be able to play. I'm just assuming at this point he'll play. Off the ACL once, in the ball game. Once
2: that was was there at practice a couple days ago, he reported that he thought Clayton Thorson was very very impressive. So they do have to replace a, a terrific running back. I don't know how much that'll that'll hinder the offense.
1: Now nah, the new running back uh, Larkin played pretty well as a freshman last year, so they should be all right there. They how will you be watching? Defense. How will you be watching this game on Thursday night? On my brand new sixty inch television. Well, that's not what I was trying to like tee you up to talk about how much, you know, high end entertainment system you have. I just
2: well, I meant like, is this going to be keep the keep the wife and kid away from me? I'm
1: I got to watch my own water, or is it No, you know? also I don't think I have a choice in that. I don't I don't I don't think I can keep them away whether I wanted to or not. Um, I am actually going this fall though to my first Northwestern football game. In 15 years, for my homecoming 20-year reunion, they are playing Scott Frost Nebraska team on homecoming, so that'll be fun. Because I can't even remember the last time that I went to a football game that I wasn't covering. So, so you won't uh, be covering this event? Will you be
2: wearing purple?
1: T- TBD. Still, I mean, like I don't think so. I don't. This is the age of Twitter. The last thing I need is somebody taking a picture of that and uh, everything I write for the rest of the time being. Uh, chalked up as, you he's a Northwestern homer.
2: Yeah, I don't, uh, honestly, I don't think, like, just speaking for, like, the Matt Fortunas of our company, I just don't think we
1: could look at you the same way. Why do you always default? (laughs) I feel like, like, when you were making the jokes a while ago about taking, you know, making people do my dry cleaning, you always default to Matt Fortuna. Well, because he's in Chicago, and that's Ah,
2: a big-time country.
1: You know who else is in Chicago and is a big Nebraska fan? Ryan Hamilton? Not that I know of that he would be a Nebraska fan. Focolini. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, uh, he'll be there. Obviously, nobody knows his identity, but he will be there. So, all right, this was fun to, to kind of whet the appetite for the games this weekend. Now, what do you say we get to our guest?
2: Let's do it. And now, Stu, we are pleased to be joined by our very esteemed guest, the icon, Tim Brando. Tim, thanks for joining us on The Audible today
3: great to be with both of you and uh i think we've we've done this before let's hope we continue to do it uh, although you may run out of adjectives for an aging broadcaster if we keep doing them right
2: <laughs> no tim you send me all you send me all your synonyms that you want me to use i know dot the, the, thesaurus.com is your friend
3: <laughs> there you go <laughs>
1: All right, Bruce, where should we start?
2: I think well, let's start here. It's not the biggest game of the week, but it's Tim's game Saturday night. It's going to be a pretty amazing atmosphere, I think. Now, Akron is, is a, was a 500 team in the MAC. They're going to go get the first crack at Scott Frost. We've talked a lot about Nebraska and the Scott Frost rebuild project there. Tim, what are you expecting to see when you get to Lincoln?
3: Great expectations, no doubt. I mean, I think that they're... Um You were recently there, I know, and and had a chance to visit with Scott. And I'm looking forward to seeing Larry, the cable guy, and Scott and all the other big red fans. I know that they're ecstatic and can't wait for this season to get started. I do expect a return to glory for Nebraska. I don't think that this year's schedule will allow for the record to indicate that. But I do believe their performance on the field can indicate that. He's a difference maker. He's a special, special coach. I got to know him best probably when he was working for Mark Elfridge at Oregon. We had a couple of their games and, in fact, did the Pac-12 title game with Joel that year in 2014 with with Marcus Mariota. And, you know, had not all those receivers gotten hurt at the end of the year, I, I think they might have given Ohio State certainly a better game if not won the national championship. They, You know, what he does and how he adjusts to the personnel he has what he did at UCF, I think is another great example of the impact that a guy like that can make. I think he's a really special coach. The problem after they get through the first three weeks is the schedule really, really picks up, you know, beginning with the game at Michigan. And then, you know, later on, they have to go to Ohio state. I mean, it's, it's murderers row for them after that. And I think that's going to be problematic to their record, their overall record. But I, I think that within three years, I think they'll be competing for that division title. I think they'll be right there where they're significantly involved in the conversation about playing in a Big Ten championship. And, and that's something that that fan base has wanted for such a long time. I will throw a little caution into the wind because I talked to Terry Bowden Monday of this week, and uh, I'll be seeing him, obviously, in Omaha when we head in there to, uh, to broadcast the game they're returning nine starters on defense and they did win their side of the Mac a year ago, lost, obviously big in the bowl game, but he believes that they're going to be as, as, as only a Bowden could say it right. Pretty dang good. You know, when a Bowden says we're going to be pretty dang good, that means they feel like they can be competitive and and make this game. um, Maybe a little bit more of a concern for the fan base, going into the second half rather than they'd like when they last played Akron in Nebraska, it happened to be in the opener of 1997, the year that um, Scott Frost uh, led the Nebraska Cornhuskers past Peyton Manning in the orange bowl to win a share of the national championship. And they opened that season with Akron and then followed that game with central Florida, believe it or not, great deal of irony there. And I don't need to tell you about the long and storied relationship between the great Tom Osborne and Bobby Bowden. Uh, It runs very deep. And it also happens to be Terry's 25th year in coaching, and he had a longer layoff from coaching in the time that he spent with my friend John Saunders at ABC while Spencer and I were at CBS. We used to dine on Friday nights and Saturday nights in New York, and he was out of the game for such a long time, went to North Alabama, did very well has gone to Akron and had zero. It was really in dire straits when he got there and has done a really, really good job. So I know Terry's happy to still be coaching. He's right about my age, and I think he's of the Bowden group, of Bobby's guys, he's the one that wanted to coach the most. And I'm really happy he found a home in Akron and has done a really good job there. So I think it'll be an entertaining game. I do.
1: Guys, time flies. I just looked it up. I couldn't believe it. Terry Bowden has been at Akron now since 2012. I, I I don't think when he was hired, I would have guessed he would be the coach there for seven years. But uh, you're right. It feels like
2: it feels like he's coached like six games since Tim started that question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tim, what do you expect to see from? So Nebraska named Adrian Martinez its starting quarterback, first true freshman ever to start a season opener. For Nebraska, what are you expecting to see from him?
3: Well, I know that to run the offense that they like to run, this is the right guy. Strong kid, a kid that's got a lot of moxie about him. There's no doubt that the the relationship between the coach and the quarterback are in step. It's going to be new, and it's going to be unique, and I think the personnel that surrounds him is really still pretty good. You know, Mike Riley had some good-skilled guys. Now, they lost, obviously, one of the one of the great skilled players they had that, that had to re- retire from the game. Yeah, the Trey, running back.
2: Trey, Trey Bryant. He had right, yeah, chronic knee them. issues. Yeah, you're yeah. right.
3: But, I mean, I, other than that, I think that there's some good personnel, particularly at receiver, for them to work with. So, I, I'm, I'm I'm like everybody else, uh, fellas. I'm excited to see how he adjusts to the kind of personnel he has at Nebraska, versus what he inherited when he got to UCF and obviously dealt with at Oregon. I think there'll be a nice mix of power to go along with speed and tempo with what Scott does. You know, he's not a, he's not a one-trick pony. He's got a clear-cut approach to the game, no doubt about it. But I, I think that when the personnel suits itself for a little bit more of a downhill approach from an offensive standpoint, which is what Nebraska historically has offered. I think he's going to play into that a little bit. It'll be interesting for us to see. Was that a sh- shorter response? It was better, Tim, yeah. Or? Yeah,
2: yeah. just as somebody's hard. seen and talked to Adrian Martinez some, I think he's an ideal fit for what Scott Frost wants to do. I saw Frost yeah. a couple of weeks ago, he's like, yeah, he's put on 20 pounds. He's been there. He's up to 220, which is, by the way, the same weight he said he played at when he was the quarterback in Nebraska. Really uh just mature not just physically mature but just a very grounded focused kid lots of coaches i know uh, i talked to butch jones who had he'd had been committed to them for a long time he was just could not stop talking about just kind of the IP factor with this kid and the presence and the poise he had missed all last year so not just a true fr- freshman but he he was out with a sh- coming off a sh- shoulder injury in 2017 i think where they'll be good is as tim said i think they have three or four really good receivers already there, some promising running backs. The question's going to be, it's Nebraska, you know, and Scott Frost knows this. They got to get better on the offensive line. I, I, they will, but that's where I think that they're nowhere near where Wisconsin is, not where Iowa is, probably not, certainly not where even Northwestern is. So we'll see. Tim, let's stick in the Big Ten. I, we can't entirely avoid this because a little bit has happened since Stu and I did our, uh, our podcast after the whole Ohio State-Urban Meyer three-game suspension-slash-press conference. What was your takeaway from, from all of this that's gone on around Ohio State with Urban Meyer over the last month?
3: I'll take it even further and say the big-picture takeaway has to be, if you look at everybody involved in a position of power and control, not just from an institutional standpoint, fellows, but from a college football standpoint. If you don't think we need a czar for college football now, then I don't know where you've been or what the hell you're thinking. Because the snapshot, the big snapshot of our sport, uh, on the one hand is, oh, my God, it's flourishing. Oh, my God, uh, it's the second most um, popular sport in the country behind the NFL, and it's catching up, by the way. It's even catching up with it. But the other snapshot is, oh, my God, it's the wild, wild west. Oh, my God, they got all this money, and what are they doing with it? Mismanagement, problems with what? Governance and leadership. That night when that pressure was taking place, the Ohio State University looked fundamentally weak in every position of power. The president looked bad. The athletic director looked filled with I, I thought Gene Smith was filled with hubris and a complete disconnect. But basically what Gene Smith was there to do was to try to help Urban Meyer, who was even worse in even worse shape, look decent and he couldn't. So in every phase of leadership, they failed. Now, where do we go from here? I keep waiting for, and I keep listening to, and I keep seeing the same responses from the, the, the commissioners who govern these schools whenever they're in trouble. And that is, we can only do so much. It's an institutional issue. How many more times do we have to hear that before we realize something's got to be done so that that the game is protected, that the big picture of the product is protected. The conference commissioners are not in a position from a jurisdiction standpoint. They just don't have the jurisdiction to do what's needed. We need someone that's empowered by those leagues to hand out and to deal with this kind of inequity whenever it takes place. I'm not suggesting, and I'll say it again, that college football needs a Roger Goodell type. That's That's not what I'm saying. When it comes to the business affairs and television rights and legal issues, conference commissioners deserve all their right and power. But when you see the president of an institution, an athletic director, and a head coach look the way those guys look, and all we can get is, well, it's an institutional issue from the other people in charge. We have a problem. And I'm hearing commentators all across the board, media types. Well, where's the NCAA? Where's the NCAA? Didn't we find out with Penn State that the NCAA erred when it got involved? They should have have no business getting involved. College football has been in the hands of the commissioners of the conferences and of the schools since 1984. How many times do we have to give a history lesson to the mainstream media when it comes to college football? The one time that, that the NCAA did intercede, they made fools of themselves on the Penn State thing and had to peel it back quite a bit. That's the big picture takeaway.
2: Well, that is, uh, look, I, I've heard you make the case for a, a conference, uh, for a college football czar. I don't disagree with you. I think it could help. I just think that, I don't know, Stu, like, to me, it's one of those things where you think in practicality it would be good if, if there was somebody looking out for the best interests of the sport. I just think it runs counter to everything we see, how they, how they do business. You know, I mean, I'm curious, what do you think on that? Stuff?
1: Well, college football has always been decentralized. As Tim knows, it's always been, you know, unlike basketball, which the NCAA administers the tournament and therefore has a lot of influence over how teams schedule and whatnot. You know, they just a, a announced a new metric to replace the RPI college uh, NCAA really has no involvement in college football other than, you know, eligibility questions. they, they, the conferences run the playoff, and therefore it's up to the, conference. the individual conferences decide how they want to schedule and, and so forth. I, I think absolutely. I mean, you're getting back to the theme of a book I wrote way back in 2007, which said right in the intro, the thing you need to know about college football is nobody's in charge. And yeah. it, it makes yeah. for some – on the field, it makes for you know part of why well, – part of what we love about the sport. It's so chaotic, and um, and part of the reason is it's kind of wacky that we determine the playoff with a committee and, or before that obviously a, a bunch of computer rankings and that one you know the week Alabama's playing Mercer uh, other teams are playing huge matchups and vice versa so i i don't have, really have a problem with that part i know some people get really worked up about it but yeah it's the off field stuff it's the mounting scandals there's nobody you know i saw the big 10 kind of rubber stamped ohio state's handling yeah, of the situation yeah. there's nobody there's nobody, uh, and Mark Emmer included, there's nobody that's in a position of power to police in what's going on at individual campuses. I mean, the fact that, that North Carolina was able to convince the NCAA, which is supposedly an academic organization, that they didn't have the jurisdiction to declare what is or isn't academic fraud on their campus just tells you how the, the, you know, it really is um, inmates running the asylum sometimes.
3: Chaos, chaos, Bruce, is fine when we're talking about the college football playoff, who's in and who's out, who's not chaos is fine. When we're trying to determine why UCF can't get a, a sniff uh, chaos is great. When it's that chaos is not a good thing for college football. When we're talking about issues like the ones at Ohio state and Maryland,
2: Tim, let me, ask, Tim, let me, let me jump in and just ask you this. And I'm not disagreeing. I'm just curious how you think this would work. Let's say there is a college football czar. What would that person, he or she's involvement be like? Would they be overseeing what the president of of Ohio State is going to make a determination on whether Urban Meyer suspended for three games a season or not at all? Or whether they would try to negotiate whether they're going to fire him, whether it's for cause or not?
3: Well, the idea of having a, con- a conduit, someone to consult with, someone to go to as the institution to seek counsel on what direction we need to go, which would be similar to self-reporting to the NCAA if you happen to be involved in basketball, all right? Uh, and basketball is different. And and again, the fact that we still have to explain this to even people in the media makes me sick to my stomach. Just sick to my stomach. And we do. But they should be... Uh, let's take an Oliver Luck type, if, we, if he were available. A Jack Ford type, which I think is another guy That would be a wonderful choice to be in this position. If the conference commissioners would at least yield, okay, some power to someone they trusted to say that when it comes to matters such as these, there will be one voice. That one voice will be the person that those people within the institution, if the commissioners are saying, and they all do at some point, well, this is an institutional decision, that's a cop-out given the circumstances that we have. And with all the revenue that's available right now, I'm telling you, and college football, a little bit like the NFL to some extent, is having to deal with a lot of other issues right now that I think are striking at the core of its credibility for the long-term future. If we don't do the job protecting the product now, in 15 to 20 years, God only knows what it's going to look like. So you better become more preemptive in your thought process. And I think that Looking to some of those kinds of people that you should trust, and people that, that Jim Delaney and Greg Sankey and Larry Scott and John Swafford could all agree on. Bob Bowlesby could all agree on it. to say, okay, is it three games? Is it a, is it half a year? Is it a year? We need somebody that's in a position to do that. Somebody that's actually independent of. And when we hear independent now from intercollegiate athletics, it's never independent. Like that bogus committee that had three of its members part of the board of trustees. That is fundamentally wrong. It's got to stop. And this is the way you go about it, in my opinion.
2: Okay. So now we've gotten heavy. We're going to lighten it up a little bit. Okay. Tim, we're going to play a game. Really, it's, Stu's going to be the contestant. You're going to be the judge. And I want you to fill in the gaps. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out something I think I know about you. And Stu is gonna see, because Tim and I were broadcast partners for a year and a half, or in, in Brando years, that's like twenty. I will throw it at I will throw it at Stu. Stu, it's just true or false, and then Tim will Tim will explain. Can we do that? I'm I'm yeah. fascinated to find out what this is going to entail. Okay, this is what happens when I didn't have Wi Fi on a cross country flight. Okay, here we go. All right, so things you don't know about Timmy B, true or false. The first one the working title of Tim's memoir is "quote, not just another pretty face." True or false?
1: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but I'm going to say false. Tim, that is false.
3: It, it, yeah, but it's got it's got some. There, there's something to that. I,
2: okay, because so now idea. it could be, now Tim now it's back in play, so it may be true. <laughs>
3: okay. It's false. It's false now, but we could work it. It could work its way into having some truth. Yes.
2: Number two, Tim's dad is the one who actually coined the term "quote finger licking good."
1: True or false? Still, that is true. Tim,
3: that is true. Yeah, palate pleasing, taste bud tantalizing, cream mixed glaze, light is the hole in the middle, hot, hot, hot.
1: Can you give us the? I don't know if this thing exists, but can you give us like the sixty second version of that story?
3: Southern made donuts sponsor of my father's, one of the sponsors of my father's three television shows in the 60s, Bruce Jones who was the owner of Southern Bay Donuts and there's still a ton of them in Shreveport, a few in Monroe and in North Louisiana. He was uh, quite the entrepreneur and loved to go to Vegas, had a lot of friends, including the Colonel. And one night in Vegas on a trip that my father took with him as his advertising agent and the guy that was performing the show and all the commercials for Southern Maid Donuts. Bruce, after a couple of, uh, and by the way, my middle name is Bruce, Timothy Bruce Brando, I was named after Bruce Jones, and that's my middle name. Uh, he had had a few pops, and the colonel said, finger licking good. That is really, I like that one. You mind if I use that for my chicken? And uh, to my, my father's dying days, he said he couldn't believe that Bruce let him use it. They had not gotten the copyright of it. And so he took it, and the rest is, uh, as they say, Kentucky Fried history.
2: All right. Number three. Tim's yep. signature line, the Iron Unkind, actually first debuted when Tim was calling a demolition derby in Alexandria. Stu?
1: No, I'm, I'm going to guess it debuted in an ACC basketball game involving, some, uh, like, circa, I don't know, 1989?
3: Very close, Stu. Very, very close. Ball bounces on the rim on one end and 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 goes in for Chris Collins. Uh, Grayson Marshall's coming back the other way for NC State. Misses uh, the ball goes round and round at the buzzer. So there's an iron kind and an iron unkind within seconds of one another. It was actually 1995, I think. 90, yeah, I think it was. It was the Shashovsky bad back year. I think that's right, and uh, I had done it before that, but that's when it really became popularized on a, a crucial game between uh, Duke and North Carolina State. And uh, but but the idea of demolition derby, I got to tell you, Bruce, I've done as you know twenty five different sports, but never demolition derby. Keith Jackson did the demolition derby, so if if Fox ever gets the rights for that, I want I want some of that.
2: All right. Well, Eric Shanks, if you're listening, or if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's Tim wants this one too. All right, number four because we're we're gonna have to edit out some of these because Tim's gone long. Tim oh, yeah. has won a World Series ring.
1: Do true or false has won a World Series ring? In uh,
2: a poker game, actually was 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 given one by a, by a team.
1: I mean, that's just so specific and random that I think it has to be true. Yes,
3: ma'am? I have an Atlanta Braves World Series ring. I, I broadcasted. The games on Sports South, which were generally on Wednesday nights when ESPN was blacked out uh, in the Atlanta area, Ernie Johnson Sr., the late Ernie Johnson Sr. and I, uh, did 50 games in 1994, 5, and 6. And I think more so than really because I was with Ernie, I was on his coattails. John Scherholz gave me a, a ring as well. And I, I was a proud Atlanta Braves fan, their A Farm Club, when I was a kid, was in Shreveport. I was a little brave, and so I wear it to this day. Actually, I'm very proud of what John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and, um, and Greg Maddox did for, for, for my left finger.
2: All right. <laughs> number, number five. On Tim's yeah. 60th birthday, to bond with some of his colleagues, including Petros Papadakis, Tim got a tattoo with the word Shreveport etched in a semicircle across his stomach. True or false, Still.
1: Well, obviously that's false, because Tim is like 43, right? He's not 60.
3: (laughs) (laughs) If they made just for men and make up for my my stomach, there would be a chance of that being true. All right.
2: right. Next question. If Tim had a walk-up song, it would be Up Down Funk.
1: Oh, well, that's a direct reference to an amazing, an amazing moment on YouTube. I think we referenced it the last time Tim was on. Obviously... Based on that video, I would say yes.
3: Yeah, I'm still wondering why I never got a call from uh, Aaron Andrews about that. You know, I thought I had a shot, but I guess not. I, I, I gather I'm still a B-lister in Hollywood.
2: And then some, Tim. Okay,
3: next one. let <laughs> do. Mike
2: Leach once confused Tim for Jim Nance. True or false?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. I think I remember hearing that. That is true. I've witnessed this myself. So.
2: Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. Now, now we, we must, we must say that it was in a relaxed environment. Okay. So it's Mike Leach, Tim. There
1: are no, that's all there are. They're all, how did you realize, how did you realize
2: that he can, I I need to tell the story. I'll be quicker and it'll be, it'll be truthful. So I am talking to Leach. It's, it is, it's in Phoenix. It's, it's late at night. I think Jason candle, the coach of Toledo is there. Tim walks up, Leach starts befriending Tim and talking about how he loved Tim's memoir and starts talking right. about some of the work he's done. And then all of a sudden I was like, you think this is, you think this is Jim Nance? And look, I love Tim. Jim Nance is, and, and I think Tim even would admit this, Jim Nance is a way better looking guy than Tim. And I was like, what is wrong with Leach? <laughs> it's <was> just congr- <laughs> incredible that he got that wrong.
1: Anyway, moving along. Next one. Did he compliment you, Tim, for your great calls of the Masters? Leach isn't a golf guy. That's the problem.
3: Now, that was part of it, I think. But let me just say this to you, Bruce. You know, I'm man enough to admit when a nice guy guy is a a nice-looking man. Jim's a nice-looking man. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I can be just as good as Jim (laughs) is. Words words to live by Tim. Okay. The next, (laughs) next one,
2: Stu. Tim Brando once told former CBS colleague Adam Zucker, quote, Listen, punk. You're not at Bleepin' Syracuse anymore. We're doing the Peace Act. I'm the big cheese here. I'm Tim Bleeping Blando Brando. Now fetch me my bleepin' makeup bag. <laughs> Stu.
1: That's that's false. Tim?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's false. Although uh although I really did treat him that, that way a lot of times, <laughs> Stu. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so I've seen the HR files. Too. Poor Adam. So
1: all right. <laughs> he, <laughs> he turned out all right. The last one,
2: the last one, Stu. One Big 12 in battle, the defensive coordinator, once referred to Tim actually as a, quote, legend. True or false?
1: I'm going to say true. All right, so yeah. this, I don't know that if is this true. is true.
2: I don't know if this is true, but I, this is the story I want to end with. And this okay. is ai th- am comfortable enough with Tim to tell it. So okay. I am working with the, with Tim's crew on and off, and they had a stretch. Tim and Spencer had a stretch where they had three KU games in a row. So I think this was week two of it, where it's it's Texas Tech at KU, and Cliff Kingsbury has all his guy as his coaches usually do these really early morning press con- or teleconferences with the broadcast crew. David Gibbs, who's phenomenal on these calls because he's exceptionally blunt and pretty funny with a sense of humor says, and this is the part I don't remember Tim Brando. Who did you piss off to have to do this, this such and such? Case? Yeah. 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 So Spencer is, is not on the call cause he had something else going on. We're in the broadcast truck later or maybe the next day. And Tim is trying to get one of the people on the call who, who was with us to kind of retell the story. And I'm just yeah. saying, I'm thinking the part is Tim Brando. Who did you have to piss off to do this game? Tim goes, right. no, no, no. I'm the, the whole part. And the person keeps—it's—I uh, forgot who it was. It was a younger member of our crew. Keeps trying to like egg. remember, yeah, yeah, remember the story. Finally, Tim interrupts and goes, "No, he said, Tim Brando, you're a living legend. Who did you have to piss <laughs> off to tell this game?" And I was like, maybe my maybe my my connection cut out on the Tim Brando, you're a living legend part. But that somehow got got worked into the story.
3: <laughs> well, that's uh, fantastic, let's just say, Stu. I'm just so happy we got the Big Ten deal the following year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't called a Kansas game since.
3: No, actually, we did. We had Kansas in prime time with uh, with uh, TCU opposite. I think it was Notre Dame and SC on NBC and Alabama and and. Somebody really good, maybe LSU. So yeah, we we still got KU once, even last year. So maybe things will change now that they've got uh, Jeff Long as AD. We'll see.
1: <laughs> good game, good right. game, Bruce, uh Tim. So after Akron, Nebraska, do you know what you have after that?
3: Yeah, great one, Iowa, Iowa State. I cannot wait to get to Kinnick. I have never done a game at Kinnick Stadium. My old friend Bino Cook was a big uh, historian, as you know, and. Well, he loved Niall Niall Cunningham's story, one of the great stories of all time. I can't wait to get there. And now with the hospital there and that whole scene at the start of the fourth quarter, can't wait to see it. And, you know, Iowa State's really good. And I think as a chance to, you know, be a bit, bit of a national sleeper again this year, Matt Campbell staying, I thought, was really important for them. And Iowa just wins eight or nine games every year and always beats a ranked opponent at home. And they get Wisconsin two weeks later, uh, fellas. If they beat Iowa State, then I, that Wisconsin-Iowa game is going to look really good in Week Four. And I, Bruce, I don't know. You guys might have that one. We might have that one. But in any case, because Michigan plays Nebraska that same week, so I'm really pumped about Iowa-Iowa State in Week Two. And then uh, Spencer and Holly and I go up to uh, Happy Valley to check out the Nittany Lions, who are my, that's my team, by the way. Uh, that, I like what you guys had on the preview show yesterday, uh, the, the other day, uh, Bruce, but I but I think you guys all overlooked Penn State. I love Penn State's home schedule this year to be the Big Ten champ and to represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff.
2: Yeah, you know, look, I'll be honest, Tim, after seeing them in person the other day, I was really impressed. I mean, we know Trace McSorley's a terrific college quarterback. I think they have a great freshman class. You're going to be seeing a lot yep. of these guys not just Parsons on, you know, on defense who people know about and shorter, who's a big, they have really good skill guys who are, who are going to make an impact in a hurry. I think so. I mean, look, I think they have a puncher's chance. We'll see. I mean, Ricky Ronnie takes over from Joe Moorhead. I think a lot of people feel like the loss of Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator will be significant, but they're, they're really good. I, I wouldn't, I, to me, that's not a shocking pick at all that you have there.
3: Yeah. I mean, as good as the sec West is, fellas, and, and I'm all in on two teams out of the SEC getting in. In fact, Joel shocked me. He had both Georgia and Alabama, and, I, and I'm and i going there too. I like. And if it's not Georgia and Alabama, how about this? How about it's Auburn and Alabama both getting in? Now, you talk about getting Barry Alvarez's idea that's floated out there already about going to six. We'll get to six real quick if two SEC teams get in, and let's say the Big Ten is left out with as much – strength as there is at the top of that league
2: Mm. all right tim we look forward to listening to you guys on saturday night and checking out it should be a pretty awesome environment and uh we will talk to you i'm sure this season
3: you guys have a a great season too bruce and Stu. keep on keeping on man love what you guys are writing at the athletic it is looking so good
1: thank you very much tim all right. Thanks, as always, to Tim Brando. I hope that everybody stayed with it through that interview and, and all of his 10-minute t- answers. What do you say we open the mailbag? Okay, let's go. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This first one comes from James Wilson. It's directed to you, Bruce, who uh, James was reading. Jake Trotter's excellent story on ESPN about Barry Sanders' 1998 season, which started like this. The first time Barry Sanders touched the football in 1988, he scored a touchdown. Fittingly, the final time he carried it for Oklahoma State that season, he scored as well. Both plays were equally spectacular and bookended the greatest individual season the college football world has ever seen. And 30 years later, Sanders' 88 season remains, like so many of his runs, untouchable. Bruce, we all know where you stand on college football's (laughs) all-time best player, but let me hear your argument as to why Cam was better than 1988 Barry Sanders. Uh, I knew it was going to—as
2: soon as you started that, I was like—because I I haven't seen these— in uh, full disclosure, I haven't seen these yet, these questions. Uh, I knew it was going to come back to my my feelings about Cam Newton and that magical season in 2010.
1: It was 2010, correct? Cam so, was, was 2010, yes. Yes. I
2: don't know. To me, the biggest thing that is the wow factor of all wow factors with Cam, I mean, he put up staggering numbers and all. It was just the fact that he put that team, which did not have hardly any any NFL talent in its starting 22 around him. There was Nick Farrelly and not much else. And they won a national title, you know? I think that that just puts it on another on another level. Now, look, where it's tricky for me is, is, is uh, and, and a, a ton of credit to Jake on this story, because I thought it was exceptionally well done, but Barry Sanders was a little before my time of covering college football, and I think that starts to get into some other guys who just in terms of how they fit in the landscape of what was going on in that day and age is a little harder to to quantify for me. Like that's why I say the, the, the best player and the best season I've ever covered was Cam Newton. But Barry Sanders was about five or six years before me, so I, it's not really fair for me to to kind of compare that. It's a little bit of a cop-out, I know, but that's my Yeah, feeling. I mean,
1: I was just a kid during that season, but you know, I would say they both had un- unbelievable seasons. I think the reason that you're stating and is perfectly logical is it's hard to separate the stats from the fact that Cam Newton led his team in the national championship, whereas as great as Barry Sanders was, Oklahoma State played in the Holiday Bowl. So that would be something I would say there. You know what's crazy? This next question is completely unrelated to that one, and it still mentions Cam Newton in it. Ready? Mm-hmm. Hey Bruce and Stu, the show is awesome. Bruce's curse words are amazing, so keep up the good work. I know you. Yeah, I go you back and forth for that, that sometimes. Yeah. Yes. My question: If the Urban Meyer AD situation went down at a non-blue blood university led by a less heralded coach, would the outcome of three-game suspension have been the same, or is it too much conjecture? And conjecture. And then he says, "Also, Stuart is completely wrong about not having Cam Newton rated higher in his top fifty players list." Thank you for that, Stu. What is your feeling? Why don't you start, take that one first. Yeah, I mean, I think if he was not a national championship coach, I think if he were... You know, when I was thinking about this the other day, the situation with Rich Rodriguez at Arizona, they wasted no time forcing him out there over a report that was troubling, just like this report was troubling. There was no two-week investigation or anything. They just said, pack your bags and move on. And I think that's how it would have been handled if he were either a eight and four, nine and three kind of coach at Ohio state or, you know, somebody of the profile Rick Rodriguez had at a school like Arizona. Yeah. It's hard to say, like, like he said, it's a little bit of conjecture
2: and, and a, a hypothetical. I mean, cause I think we had talked about this. What if he was eight and four kind of coach or seven and five? I mean, it's hard to say that it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be different, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, my hunch is it probably would be different. It's just there's so many factors that go into it. You know, would the AD have been, would the AD Gene Smith Hanley have it been much different? I think there's a lot of there's just a lot of there's a lot of sh- shoulder shrugging going on with this one.
1: Yeah, and I the other thing you can't separate out is the thirty eight million dollar buyout because if it were not that, if it were something more affordable. I mean, you can basically fire a coach for any reason you want. So this was one where they had to be have ironclad proof that he did something that would violate his contract. And really, that report is full of a bunch of things that we can all agree are ethically and morally wrong. But I don't know that any of them would be an automatic trigger. No brainer. Fire him for cause. You won't lose a wrongful termination lawsuit, etc. Yeah. Next. This next one, I need you to open up the AP poll. Okay. This is actually a really fun game. I like when our readers come up with these fun games for us to play. Remember that pool a couple years ago where he had to draft teams that added up to a certain win total? This is kind of similar. From Joe Simmons, longtime Audible listener, new Athletic subscriber. Thank you. Here's a playoff prediction game my buddies and I play, and I would love to hear your choices. Using the preseason AP Top 25, pick your four most likely playoff teams as follows. One team ranked 1 through 5, one team ranked 6 through 10, one team ranked eleven or fit through fifteen and one team sixteenth or below. Ooh, very cool. Yeah. It means you have to I, pick Alabama or Clemson. Yeah. I'm gonna take will, I'm gonna take Clemson for that one.
2: I would take Clemson for that as well. And that's mostly about they don't have a Georgia in the other division this year. Or an Auburn in their division. I'm not worried about Auburn to be honest. I you know, I look I think Auburn if I don't think Auburn is gonna be a ten win team in the regular season this year.
1: I had them going nine and three, but that's mostly because of the Washington game. You know, they play Ross Washington, Park. and then they play. It's a brutal road schedule they have. Yeah, take well, it the flips Washington every year. Itself. Yeah, you know, last okay. year they got hot at the right time, and they had Georgia and Alabama both coming. You know, they both played them both at home, and this year okay. flips. So we're both okay. taking a, Clemson from that tier. I'm taking Washington for the next tier.
2: Uh, likewise. And then I have to take on eleven through fifteen. I will take. Ooh, if I had to take an eleven through fifteen, I would take Michigan. I know exactly who I am taking in the next batch of them. But and then for my sixteen through twenty-five, I am taking West Virginia.
1: Oh, you are you are gonna be you you are gonna regret all the West Virginia love. I, I really think so. I, I think you've gotten sucked into the Will Greer, David Sills hype. Do you know that in the Vegas Power Rankings, which are usually more accurate than Athlon or me or you, West Virginia is thirty-fifth. Okay, great. All right. Give me your other teams. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. So that 11-15 bunch is frankly not many realistic options in here. Michigan State, Notre Dame, Stanford, Michigan, USC. And having already used the slot before to take Washington, then I can't really take Stanford. So I'm going to take Michigan State.
2: Okay. I mean, that's, they're a good team, and they were really young last year, and now they're not as young. I yeah. like, that's not a bad pick.
1: I'm high on Michigan, too, but I'll go with Michigan State for that one. And for the 16-25 to 25 group, which, just for the listener's sake, includes TCU, West Virginia, Mississippi State, Florida State, Virginia Tech, UCF, Boise State, Texas, Oregon, and LSU. I'm taking a different Big 12 team than you. I'm taking TCU, who so I'm already predicting to win the Big Twelve. Best defense in the Big 12.
2: Who just lost their their best interior lineman? By yeah, that the way, sucks. For the season Ross Blacklock. Yeah, so.
1: that's that didn't help. And obviously, I'm putting a lot of faith in Sean Robinson to be a to be a, a solid quarterback. But man, have you seen their receiving core? I've seen it. I was down there in the spring. Yeah. Their receiving core is so stacked that when the depth chart came out, Cavante Turpin, who was like the dynamo playmaker a couple years ago before he got hurt, is listed as an OR. Yeah, is listed second at one of the receiver positions.
2: Canante Turpin also weighs like 153 pounds, so let's not. I think he's. I think he's a good. I think is a good complementary weapon for them, but I. I don't know. I, I think I like my pick. Oh, it's stupid to say this. I like my pick much more than I, I think your your Big Twelve pick. Well, we should have a side bet on this. Agree, this agree to disagree.
1: Better. Agree to disagree. Eric Anderson asks us a question that's obviously very um, germane over the next couple of weeks. Stu and Bruce. You're typically covering a single game on a football Saturday. How do you go about catching up on all the action you missed? Where do you get highlights, box scores, wrap-up articles, etc.?
2: So, a lot of times, if I'm in the middle of stuff, I will call Stu up and say, "Okay, what the heck's been going on for the?" Because for me, like unlike when I was covering games as a writer, like I miss like the two hours before my game too because I'm on the field or I have pregame stuff to do. So I miss like a good solid six hour block in the case of this weekend. I'm not going to miss that because I'll just miss pregame shows because our game is going to, you know, our game is a noon Eastern kickoff, but yeah, you do miss, you do miss what you can't see, especially when you're, when you're a a writer in the press box, you probably have at least some games on TV or certainly can follow along on your computer. I don't have that option because I can't be, I can't, like steer away from my focus away from the game in front of me so i try to try to to uh check back as much as i can with whoever i trust on that and the box score wise i don't know if this is speaking out of school but i usually i just still kind of go to espn.com just because that was kind of my i feel like i know my way around that website from working there for a while and just it's been kind of conditioned into me
1: so obviously and i've talked about this on the podcast before i i've I am now more of a go out and cover four games a season rather than 13. You know, I'm looking forward to spending this five days this week on the couch, but the next week I'm actually going out to a game, two games, in fact. The Houston doubleheader that we talked about a while back. When I do it, I mean, it's an all day, it's basically just an all day attempt to stay connected at all times. And sometimes, by the way, that involves, like, for instance, if you're covering an Alabama game, you know, we stay in Birmingham. So let's say it's a let's say it's a prime time. You know, Alabama LSU is usually in prime time. You're picking the like. What's the perfect time to leave, or I'll miss the least amount of football. You know, we usually leave. Lately, I I'll leave. I'll leave really early, and either go watch the games in the stadium or go find a sports bar nearby. Obviously, during the games, you're trying to. You know, you try to have games up on your computer or your iPad, but I've found that to be I mean at the end of the day, you're sitting in a stadium watching a football game. How closely are you really gonna watch those games? Unless it's, you know, coming down to the wire, then you kind of uh put your attention on that. But at the end of the day, there's no question if you cover one game, you miss a lot elsewhere, which is one of the reasons why I've cut back. Fair enough. We got any more? Okay, for the last one, Corey Freeze asks Do teams with later school start dates in the fall have an advantage in regards to total and weekly practice time and team activities since fall camp started? For example, Utah starts fall semester on August 17th, whereas Washington will not have started school when they come to Rice Eccles Stadium on September 15th. Their fall quarter does not begin until September 27th. Are the Huskies limited to the same weekly practice time as the Utes over the next four weeks while they are not in school? I believe that is... Not no that until you actually start school that you're in, you're under the preseason hours per week right right but I think the focus and and
2: not being kind of in the in that kind of routine is probably a little different and maybe that is an advantage I think it depends how you look at it but
1: I've seen it both nice ways thing. I've seen more coaches at the I've seen it, it's it's whatever grass is always greeter, right. Right. I'm sure Kyle Weddingham's looking at that going, that's not fair. Washington has all this extra prep time before they're, where the kids aren't distracted by school and they can focus on football. And I bet Chris Peterson's saying, well, actually we find that the kids are more disciplined and they, they do better when they have a routine and we'd rather they start class earlier. So it's just, I don't think there's one right answer there. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. All right. So you'll be at Maryland, Texas this weekend. Um, I will be watching everything from afar. And by the time we come back on next Monday, and by the way, we will be doing these on Mondays during the season. We will have some actual football games to talk about. And no question, some, some super duper knee jerk reactions from the first week. Can't wait. All right. See you next next week. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the audible at Apple podcasts, Google play stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. And we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash the audible and get 25% off. You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB.